Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Crypto Entrepreneurs Podcast with your host, Charles. Enjoy. What is up and welcome to another episode of the Crypto Entrepreneurs Podcast. We are bringing you some of the best and brightest traders and entrepreneurs in the industry. As always, it's your host, Charles, and today we've got a great one for you. So I'm sitting down with David Holt, a.k.a. I Draw Charts. And if you know him, it's probably from Twitter. He is a fantastic trader, and today we are going to be talking about non-directional trading strategies. If you don't know what that is, that's okay. We're going to go over everything in this episode. But before we get into all of that, I do just want to take care of a couple things. To anyone who's new, really appreciate you guys joining us today. And to the returning viewers, thank you so much. This show would not be here without you guys. If you haven't already, I suggest subscribing to our YouTube channel. We're putting out two new videos a week, and I don't want you missing any of them. If you're hearing this on one of the podcasting platforms, sorry, uh, there will be a link in the description below. Click that. It'll take you right to the video. You'll get to see David's face. You'll get to see some charts that he pulls up. It's a good time all around. And second, I do just want to give a quick shout out to the sponsors. They've been wonderful over the last couple of months. The first is Roundly X. I've been using them. I've been loving it. How it works is you link your credit and debit cards and with each purchase gets rounded up to the next dollar and that spare change gets invested into Bitcoin or another cryptocurrency of your choosing. It's kind of like the acorns of crypto and it is a very easy stress-free hands-off way to dollar cost average into crypto so if that sounds appealing to you which it should head down to the description click on the link create an account link your cards start dollar cost averaging today the second is coinflex these guys are a new word exchange i would say And they've been absolutely killing it. They've got some of the lowest, if not the lowest fees in the market, depending on how much flex you own. Flex staking is now live. You can stake your flex and you get $10 USDT per thousand flex you own per month. I'm getting ready to collect my third payout and it has been wonderful. Then lastly, They've got these trading competitions, these bracket order competitions going on. And I don't know why you guys are not excited about this. They're giving away 10 grand a day. Head on over. There's a link in the description below. Create an account and start participating in these competitions. You might be thinking to yourself, well, I'm not that great of a trader. I don't think I'll do very well. That doesn't really matter. They are primarily volume based. So even if you aren't the best trader and you're not getting these huge returns, that's okay. You can still do well in these competitions. So again, links to both of those in the description below. Thank you for your time on that. Now let's get to the episode with David. 
Let's do it. <laughs> uh, so, David, before we really get into kind of trading strategy, non-directional trading, do you think you could just give us a quick background on yourself and what you're doing before you got into crypto? Sure. So um, I got into crypto about, I want to say like June or July of 2017 um, is when I really kind of uh, actively started trading in crypto. But um, I uh, before that, I was working in sales. I worked first for an exotic car dealership, and then I was working uh, business to business for Verizon, actually. Um, and uh, yeah, so actually the first time I heard about Bitcoin, it was a buddy of mine, uh, my senior year of high school. And he was trying to get me into it. And he was like, hey, you know, we're going to go mine these Bitcoins. You know, he's trying to explain it to me. I have no fucking idea what he's talking about. And he's a little bit of a socially awkward guy. So he has trouble like communicating shit anyway, <laughs> normally. So yeah. eventually I kind of was just like, yeah, yeah, sure. Whatever, you know, just, you know, just stop talking just about leave it. leave me alone. So, <laughs> right. Yeah, basically. So, um, so anyway, so he, yeah. So he got like a, a little, I don't know if he did like a mining pool or what he did anyway, but he got like, he has like three computers. He's massive nerd. Um, cool guy. But, uh, so he had like his computers running and then he had my computer doing it. And, uh, then he had like a couple like little USB ASICs that he had on a hub. Um, uh, some of the people who have been around for a while will probably remember those just like, looks like little fucking flash drives. Um, anyway, so, um, yeah, so he, he got us, he got us mining these. And, uh, at the time we were living like adjacent to each other. Uh, so we were neighbors. Um, so I saw him all the time. Um, and I ended up moving away when I, I joined the Army National Guard and had to go away from training. Um, and I didn't think about it, uh, you know, for a couple of years after that. Um, I had always been interested in trading, so I kind of got started in Forex and uh, equities. Uh, learned a lot of lessons, lost a, lost a, lot, of, uh, lost a lot of paychecks uh, while first starting out. And uh, I was kind of starting to get it figured out. Um, you know, it was, it was consistently turning a profit in, in equities. Uh, and then, you know, 2017 comes around, I hear something about uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency on the news. And I'm like, wait a second, wait a second. That sounds familiar. Or did I hear that? <laughs> I know that name. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, you know, I, I'm like, wait, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. Yeah, we did something with that, didn't we? So I called my buddy up. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Bitcoin, it's, it's, it's this cryptocurrency. I was like, okay, that doesn't tell me anything, but whatever. So I, I went and, uh, I, I went and found my old, um, my old wallet. And, uh, I was, I was able to get, I didn't have a whole lot, but I had, I had like a, uh, a couple of Bitcoin on there. Um, and so, yeah, then I found out it was like something you could trade and it was stupid volatile and everything just seemed to be going up. So I kind of got into it in 2017. Didn't honestly, uh, make nearly as much as I should have been able to in 2017, <laughs> but I, something I did do that most people didn't is I managed to keep my money. So, um, and then I made a fuck ton in 2018, just shorting the shit out of everything. Uh, so crypto has been great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it sounds like a wonderful journey. <laughs> You uh, mine it way back in the day. You, It sounds like everyone who kind of like first heard about it in, I'd say, 2017, there was lots of gains to be made, but I feel like a lot of people didn't capitalize on it properly. And then oh, yeah. most people gave it all away in 2018, especially if they were new to trading. Uh, you were actually able to keep most of your 2017 gains and then make money on the way down. Um, so I do kind of want to get into your trading strategy a bit. Um, and when we talked, we direct messaged before this, you had mentioned non-directional trading. 
And I feel like not too many people think about that type of trading when they think of crypto. They just think, you know, hopping on Binance or BitMEX or any of the big exchanges and, you know, up or down, what's it going to do? Um, so can you just explain what non-directional trading is for anyone out there who doesn't know? Sure. So non-directional trading is is like a more English-friendly way of saying delta-neutral trading. Uh, and what that means is that you're taking positions that do not rely on price moving in a certain direction. You're actually looking at uh, relationships between different assets or between, say, the futures contract on an asset and the spot price of that asset, um, or something like market making where you're hedging out your risk. So you're not worried about whether price is going up and down. You're worrying about capturing spreads between different products or different assets. Um, so for example, like, uh, you have, you know, you have spot Bitcoin, which is what you buy on Coinbase or, or, uh, you know, Bitfinex or whatever, or Binance with Tether or with USD or whatever your local currency is. Um, and then you have futures contracts, right? And those might be perpetual swaps like, um, you know, BitMEX and a bunch of the other derivatives platforms offer, or they might be uh, traditional futures, which have an expiry date. Um, and then they're settled to, um, to the actual price of the underlying asset, the spot asset. Um, so you might say, Hey, you know, the futures contract is, you know, trading at a premium, it's trading at a, a two, 3% premium. I'm going to short that and I'm going to buy an equal amount of spot. And when the future expires, uh, you know, I've made the difference between the two. I've made that two, 3% and you haven't risked anything because if price goes up, you know, your spot holdings go up, uh, just as much as your, um, as your future short position goes down. So you're not losing money if it goes up and you're not losing money if it goes down because the reverse applies. Uh, but that means that when that futures contract contract actually expires, you're gaining, you know, that 3% premium or whatever you locked in, whatever it was when you, uh, when you took the trade initially. So, uh, that's just like one really, really basic example. And it's not super profitable, but, um, but it, it is an example of Delta of a Delta neutral strategy that, uh, is, is actually really, really easy to do and anybody can do it. So, there we go. Uh, so I guess my first question, and I think a lot of people's first question would be, you know, how is this possible? You know, would it not just, would the market just not take care of it and get rid of those gains? Like, how are you able to find these differences and capitalize on them? Um, is it just due to the inefficiencies of this market or why is this working? So there's a couple different reasons. So uh, even in traditional markets, futures are often, they often carry a premium or, um, uh, or, you know, they're often in contango or backwardation, which is, uh, which basically means the futures contract is trading ahead of or behind the actual price of the asset, depending on the market's expectation of where, which way it's going to go. Um, and a lot of the reason that stays somewhat inefficient in, in the traditional market is because you have the option to roll futures forward. And so uh, a lot of people aren't actually expiring those contracts. So they're not settling the contract on the expiry date that's getting rolled forward into the next contract being released. I haven't seen anywhere in crypto that actually allows you to do that yet. I'm sure it'll happen eventually. We've been making a lot of advances uh, as far as you know some of the tech that's available in traditional markets being brought over here into crypto. Um, so I'm sure it'll be happening eventually uh, if it's not already somewhere. I, I could but, be wrong, um, but I think CoinFlex might be doing that or is like working on implementing that. The only reason I bring okay. that up is because I'm talking with Mark pretty consistently. So I think it's it's starting or it's already available or it's on its way. Uh, but back to being, you know, a very inefficient market. Uh, yeah, it definitely is. Um, and the other thing is that, yeah, I mean, the more money is doing that, it's not necessarily just how many people are doing it, right? It's how much capital they control. Mm -hmm. um, 
the small that edge is going to be, because obviously if you're selling one side and buying the other, you're going to cause uh, a proportional, you know, whatever portion of the volume on those contracts is, uh, it, whatever portion of that is you, you're going to be applying that portion of pressure to kind of close that gap. So I think the biggest reason people aren't doing it um, or that those inefficiencies exist is because there's just not enough money doing it right now. Um, and that is, that is like the most basic, uh, basic example I can, I can kind of explain in like 30 seconds. Um, there's a couple others I, I want to talk about here while, we're, while you got me on. Please. Um, but, uh, but the reason that these exist is there, there are always going to be inefficiencies in crypto that exist that don't exist outside, uh, like in traditional markets, right? Because for example, like it takes, you know, an hour ish to send Bitcoin from one exchange to another, right? You can't just do this instantaneous transfer. Um, then you have, you know, you have withdrawal fees from the exchange. Um, you can't be, so like in traditional markets, you have these big, uh, high frequency trading firms that have, that have spent billions of dollars on infrastructure to create the fastest possible, uh, connection, uh, you, you know, using laying fucking fiber cables and shit between different exchanges so they can get that millisecond advantage, right? Well, with crypto, it's so spread out all over the world. You don't have something like the NYSE, right? Or, um, or, you know, the CME exchange, you can't, you can't just go to these different exchanges and then plot cables between them because they're all around the world. You know, Binance was definitely not in Malta, quote unquote. <laughs> um, and now, you know, now they're going somewhere else, you know, yeah. so you can't even count on them being in the same place from year to year. So you have the infrastructure cost of trying to maintain the fastest possible connections between the exchanges. And then you have the difficulty of sending crypto actually to, to make these sort of arbitrage plays to make these inefficiencies um, go away. And there are businesses that are doing this, um, but just because of the nature of the market, it's never going to be completely eliminated, right? And because we have all these smaller exchanges and everything, there's also still going to be opportunity because there will be places where it's just not worth the big players like uh, Alameda, for example. You know, they're not going to go play on, they're probably not doing a whole lot on KuCoin. You know, obviously I don't know about a lot about their business model, but there's, there's not nearly as much liquidity there. So it doesn't make as much sense to park a whole lot of capital there. Whereas, you know, if you're playing with a couple grand, it might make sense for you to try to do an arbitrage play between KuCoin and, I don't know, BitMEX or Deribit or something. Um, because, you know, the you both have and can provide the liquidity at an amount that matches your capital, right? Whereas it's not going to be worth it for some of these bigger players that are moving, you know, billions of dollars of volume a day. So um, I think there's always going to sort of be these sort of opportunities in crypto. Uh, they are going to... You know, some of the more obvious ones are going to lessen over time because if it's profitable enough, you know, it's going to attract enough people to come take advantage of it. And that by nature makes it less profitable. Um, so it is competitive. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think that's, I, I don't think we're ever going to get to like this hyper uh, efficient market, like, uh, like what it is, you know, in, in say equities or, um, or, you know, some or the futures market or some other stuff like that. So, yeah, it, it at the end of the day, it still takes a decent amount of time to send crypto from one exchange to another, which is part of what's causing these inefficiencies. Uh, so, so we talked about, you know, just like a couple basic strategies on this. Uh, there's one that I wanted to talk about in particular because I see a lot of people trying to do it on Twitter. And it's just extreme price differences in some of the alts. You know, and when you think of an arbitrage opportunity where I, you know, Litecoin is, I don't even know what the price of Litecoin is right now, but say it's $100 on one exchange and 80 on another, everyone's like, oh, you can buy it here, sell it over there. Um, do you do any kind of arbitrage with alts like that? 
I do not. I'm very familiar with the process. I'm actually learning Python right now, so I can take advantage of more of these things. Most of my trading is still discretionary and directional, right? Okay. So most of my trading is still saying, hey, I'm buying Bitcoin because I think it's going to fucking go up, right? Um, I'm trying to transition out of that uh, over the course of this year a little bit, and that's why I'm learning Python so I can be able to to do some of this. Um, but as far as the arbitrage thing, there is definitely a lot of money in that, but there are also some concerns that a lot of people don't think about. Um, and so you got to consider things like uh, exchange fees. So what's the cost to actually place the trade on the exchange, right? What's the cost to send crypto? And that includes like a withdrawal fee from the exchange because most exchanges have a withdrawal fee of some kind. Um, and then you have to pay network fees. And then how long is it going to take you to send whatever crypto it is? So it, um, you know, Bitcoin's a fairly efficient market across most uh, exchanges, um, but it takes about, you know, about an hour to send and receive um depending on how many confirmations the exchanges you're using require before allowing you to trade it. Um, whereas something like, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, Litecoin's faster, Ethereum's faster. Um, so you got to figure out like this time difference, like, am I going to be able to get crypto in and out fast enough? And the other thing is a lot of the times people see those price differences and there's a reason for it. And it's because, you know, this exchange for whatever reason has suspended withdrawals. Uh, you know, maybe there's a, a hard fork or, or some kind of up mainnet upgrade or some shit like that. Um, so you have to be really, really knowledgeable about what's actually going on with that coin, how much it's going to cost you to get, you know, to transfer funds between here and there. Um, and so, you know, you have to be mindful of that. Otherwise you'll end up losing money. Um, it, if you're planning on playing arbitrage, you want to, you want to, first of all, pick a couple exchanges, right? Um, you know, you can pick them for whatever reason you want, you know, maybe it's the liquidity that you need. Maybe they just have alts that not a whole lot of people trade. So, you know, there's, the spreads are going to be bigger, whatever it is. Um, and you need to have funds already on each one of those exchanges so that you can, um, you know, provide long and short exposure um, on like instantaneously. You want to reduce that amount of transfer time as much as you possibly can. Um, and again, this isn't something I necessarily do myself right now. I do intend to get into it uh, because there is still a lot of opportunity, especially on some of like the mid caps or um, or maybe a little bit lower because you know that like you got people like Alameda and a bunch of these other firms that are that are you can see in the market but you don't know who they are because you know most of them aren't fucking advertising themselves why would they um but uh in some of like the smaller markets where they're not they're not trying to compete there there's a lot of times where you can find you know that uh, it's usually not going to be a massive difference like that 20 percent, right it's not going to be that litecoin at 80 versus 100 but you can find stuff like half a percent or two percent fairly regularly depending on what you're looking at um and so you know if you have say, you know, you have Tezos on one exchange and um, so you are, you already have it. Uh, and then it's trading at a 2% discount on another exchange that you also have funds on. You can buy it on that exchange and then sell the same amount on the other exchange and you've made that spread like instantaneously. Right. Yeah. Um, and then it's just a matter of unloading. Um, you know, if you wanted to be holding Tezos, you, you can either just continue holding it on that other exchange or, uh, you know, at some point when that, when that spread decreases and, and kind of realigns, you can then um, unload that that Tezos you bought and then buy again on the other exchange, whatever you want to do with that. Yeah, there um, we go. I, I'm glad you brought it up. And like, that's that's the way you're supposed to play it, where you have some of the asset, buy it at a lower price, immediately sell at a higher price. I see so many people talking about it and I think it's kind of BS. They're like, oh, I, I had some Tezos on this exchange. I saw that it was higher on the other one. So I sent it over and then sold it at a higher price. I'm like, that's not really how it works. And there's like so much that goes into play there that causes problems for you. 
prices are yeah. fluctuating greatly. Like usually when there's a huge discrepancy, like I remember, I think it was when Chainlink got added to Coinbase. It was trading mm -hmm. at like a, I think 20 to 30% premium. Like it was much higher than everywhere else. And I saw so many people saying, oh, I sent it over and I sold some and I made a ton of money. But like by the time you were able to sell on Coinbase, prices had kind of normalized. Uh, so, yeah. so I appreciate you kind of walking us through the right way to do it. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. You can send send it like that, um, but the odds are that unless you notice it, like the second that premium appears, there's already people that have automated that have yeah. automated strategies watching for shit like that. Especially if you knew the Coinbase listing was coming, like you know, so the people that are going to be providing initial liquidity, so the market makers, they already fucking know it's happening because they already have to get you know link onto the exchange. Market makers in crypto, because it's so spread out, are almost by default also arbitragers, right? Um, because, yeah, you have to hedge out your exposure, but of course you're going to hedge it out at the lowest rate possible. So you're going to find where that discount is. They're going to be ahead of you every single fucking time. So if you don't have that, um, if you don't have that foresight and you don't already have it set up and know that you plan to arbitrage whatever it is, odds are you're going to lose money. And, you know, like it can be done manually, but you got to get real fucking lucky. Yeah, um, <laughs> or so. just deal with some of the exchanges, like you were saying, that people aren't looking at. Where right, you know, there's and it's much less lower liquidity. liquidity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so before, because I do want to go over market making a little more, uh, but before yeah. we do, I do just want to take a quick second to thank our third and final sponsor, and that sponsor is Crypto.com. These guys are one of the biggest companies in the industry, and they have a ton going on. So I just want to talk about two things so that we can get back to the show. The first is the MCO Visa credit card. It's got some amazing perks. The most important of which is it allows you to spend your crypto and you get 5% back on all purchases. 5% is pretty unheard of. And then on top of that, you get unlimited airport lounge access. And they will also pay for your Netflix and Spotify. So together, you know, these perks are wonderful. But that's not the only reason that you should check out MCO. They also allow you to earn some crypto. You will get 6% annually for your Bitcoin, Ethereum, and XRP. And then on stable coins, you get a whopping 12%. So both sides of the coin here you can spend your crypto and you can also earn crypto so if either of these things sound interesting at all head to the link in the description check out crypto.com and now let's get back to david all right perfect and we're back uh so can you just give us a high level overview and then go into the details of exactly how market making works because i feel like it gets thrown around a lot on Twitter and I feel like a lot of people don't know how it works. So can you go into that? Yeah. So market making is a, if it's done correctly, uh, it's, it is a, a Delta neutral strategy or very close to it um, for the majority of the time. So you're um, because of the way it works, you know, you are taking uh, small positions against the market uh, for, but your goal, your primary goal is to first of all, um, get people to buy and sell into you. And second of all, to hedge out that exposure as quickly as you can, fucking can. So um, imagine, you know, like let's take Litecoin, for example. Litecoin's trading at $100, right? Well, say it's on whatever exchange we're looking at, it's sold in $0.05 cent, uh, increments. Like that's that's the spread. Um, 
So, you know, you, you can't actually buy it at $99.99. You can buy it at $99.95, or you can buy it at, a, or at $100, right? There's, it doesn't allow you to travel that spread. What a market maker does is he tries to make the difference between that spread, whatever it is. And it might even be a penny, right? He might just be making a penny, uh, depending on the exchange or what it is. But um, so what they're going to do is they're going to simultaneously quote a bid price, right? So they're going to leave a bid on the books saying, um, you know, if you want to sell, you can sell into my bid and I will buy it from you at that $99.95, right? And then they're going to leave an ask price of $100 or it might be wider. You know, some market makers operate several... Um, Several basis points out. Some of them, uh, it really depends on where you're looking and whether there are maker rebates. Um, but yeah, so they're they're going to offer that ask price of $100 and a bid price of $99.95. Now, as soon as somebody hits that the the bid price, so somebody's selling into their bids, they now have an exposure. Let's say of one Litecoin. So, um, you know, somebody bought somebody sold into them, and that means they bought one Litecoin at $99.95, right? They don't want to have that exposure. So they're still quoting, you know, I want to sell a Litecoin at $100. But what they're going to do is they're also, they're going to either, if they, if they're not, if the price is range bound and they're getting, you know, people hitting both sides of the book, they may not hedge it out. But if they're, if they're providing a quote, they're going to provide um, that ask price also on other exchanges, right? Because they want to get rid of that as quickly as possible um, because they're not trying to be long Litecoin. They're trying to make the spread between nine. $99.95 and $100. They're trying to make that five cents. On places like BitMEX, um, you know, you get a maker rebate. So if somebody buys into buys into or sells into your bid, uh, you're going to get that 0, uh, what is it, 0.025% maker rebate as well. Um, so and that's and that helps market makers keep spreads tight. They're able to offer uh, bids and asks very close to each other because they're making a little bit every time that um, you know every time somebody hits one of those. Whereas uh, if there's no maker price uh, or maker rebate, I mean, um, they do have to kind of widen the spreads a little bit because they're they may have to pay a small fee depending on uh, you know what exchange they're working with and and what the what the fee schedule looks like. Um, but their entire goal is to make that little five cent spread and to accept as much volume as they possibly can while not remaining exposed to the market in in either long or short direction. So. People kind of have this idea that it's like, hey, I'm going to, you know, the market makers got me. The market makers got me. No, the market makers try not to get you. <laughs> Their job is to provide a service to you and they get paid for that, right? They get paid in the form of that little five cent spread or the five cent spread plus maker rebates, you know, depending on where you're trading. Um, that is that is what they're trying to do because if they're able to do it, I'm trying to decide how in depth to go because there is a lot more to it than that. But that's the, that's like the gist of it. Um, no, I mean, if you would like to get as deep as possible on this particular subject, I have no problems with that. I kind of wanted this to be like an all-encompassing, non-directional kind of trading episode, but I think we can explore each one of these a little bit more. So please feel free to go as in-depth as you want. Sure. Um, so like I was saying, you know, the market makers almost by default are going to be the arbitrators, right? Because they're most likely what they're going to do is they're going to see um, – you know, price is lower on one exchange than it is on the other. Now they're going to factor into that equation. Okay, how much does it cost to withdraw from the exchange? Uh, what's the liquidity like over there? How often can I get my bid or my ask hit? Uh, they're going to take into account things like, am I getting a meter rebate? Am I getting a, 
you know, what's the fee schedule looking like? All, all that. But after they do all that math, and usually that's going to be completely automated, you know, they're going to know what the fee schedule is. They're going to know what the average, uh, you know, market, um, market delta is going to be like how many people are hitting the bid or the ask. Um, and so they'll, they'll find whatever exchange is quoting at the lowest price and they'll offer bids. And then they'll go to an exchange that offers that's quoting a higher price at market price and they'll offer asks. Right. And so they're arbitraging, you know, so instead of that, um, instead of using the same exchange necessarily to, to offer that five cent spread, they might be on Coinbase offering nine, uh, nine, to buy Litecoin, but then it's trading at, uh, you know, a hundred dollars and 50 cents over on, I don't fucking know, uh, KuCoin or something. Um, so they'll offer the ask up where Litecoin's trading higher, right? Because they've decided that, okay, yeah, so maybe there's a withdrawal fee that we have to eat, but that still leaves, you know, say a 25 cent spread, you know, the actual spread 65 cents, but after we pay our fees, it's 25 cent spread that we're making. And so they'll be arbitraging the price and then they might switch exchanges as soon as that price gets too close to it, to where it's not profitable anymore. Right. Um, but they will actually limit, they're not just going to continue providing bids at, uh, you know, 99.95, because if the price is going down, you know, obviously everybody's going to keep going to continue to sell into them. And then, you know, price is going to drop. They're not just going to eat that massive long exposure. Right. So, uh, one of the most complex parts about market making is figuring out how to hedge out that risk and how to limit how much exposure you're actually able to have, uh, depending on when the market's really volatile. Um, and a lot of the way they do that is by widening that spread. So they say, okay, so market's really volatile right now. Um, instead of offering, you know, 99.95, I'm going to offer 99.75, and then um, I'm going to, you know, and then I'm going to lower my ask on the other exchange, or maybe I'm going to keep it the same, and I might not get hit with as much volume because I'm not as close to the market price. But um, you know, when I do get hit, I have a wider spread that kind of keeps me safe, right? Um, so there, there is a lot. It's a very difficult thing to do uh, as a retail trader because there is a lot to consider and there's a lot that goes into it. And I don't think market making particularly is something that I even want to get into, even though I, I feel like I have a decent grasp grasp of how it works. Um, but but yeah, their their entire job is to reduce directional exposure. They want to keep that as low as possible. And there's a couple different methods they use to do that. One of them is you know widening that widening that spread that they're quoting. Um, or, or arbitraging across different exchanges. Um, but th they are not out to, you know, push price into your stops or do anything like that. Um, they are out there. Their entire job relies on making that spread. And so ideally if a market maker could keep price pretty fucking flat while still having tons of volume, that's what a market maker wants. They don't want to have to deal with that risk of market going up, market going down. Cause that leaves them with exposure that they have to get rid of somewhere else. Right. Um, so yeah, it's it's the market makers are not out to get you. No, they're not. They would prefer that it sits at you know they'd prefer Bitcoin sits from ten thousand one hundred to like nine 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 or something like that. I uh, just want to keep it as flat as possible with like a, a decently tight spread so they can make their money just you know up down up down up down as much as possible. Um, yep. But okay, you don't you you say you don't want to get into market making yourself you understand it you understand how it works but it doesn't seem like something that you want to do um you also talked about i mean it's just a very competitive uh right competitive and complex so. <laughs> yeah no no, no. I, uh you do need you know a lot of money as well I, in my opinion unless the market's just like super liquid but um no okay so you you talked about you mentioned for a brief second that you still do a lot of directional trading 
Uh, do you think we could talk about your specific trading strategy on that end at all? Are you okay with talking about that? I know a lot of people kind of try to keep it under wraps. So, um, yeah, I mean, I can kind of give you just like the, the broad highlight. Um, basically, my, my, um, my trading strategy is primarily trend following, right? I want to identify a trend as early as possible, and I want to catch the majority of that trend. You know, it, it might be very short, might be a 10% trend, might be, you know, a 300% trend, who fucking knows? Uh, you're never going to know that starting out because I don't try to time tops and bottoms and all that. Um, but within the trends, I try to find areas which I think are going to be likely for pullbacks or retracements. Um, and I try to do that by I by trying to identify the level of um, uh, strength in the market and, and the level of supply versus demand, uh, which obviously is reflected on the chart. But if you can kind of anticipate that a little bit ahead of time as to where you think it's likely that supply or demand might enter the market, um, that can give you a small edge there. And there, there are things that you can look at, like, um, you know, I, I don't know a whole lot about order flow, but, um, you know, order flow is, is something I would like to at some point learn sometime in the future um, because it's, it's, it's literally a live look at, you know, how much and where supply and demand is entering the market. Um, but a couple things I use, I, I like to watch open interest. Uh, I like to watch the funding rate because the funding rate can be kind of seen as a uh, directional indicator of expected volatility, right? Because if, say, you're paying 0.1% a day in funding, that means anybody long is going, hey, you know, I think we're going to move up more than 0.1% a day. Otherwise, why the fuck would they be in the position, right? Um, so you can watch things like that. Um, and you can combine some of these uh you know, some of the charting, um, which, you know, kind of just boils down to patterns, but you're kind of looking for what's going on behind the patterns. Um, and, and some of these more live indicators that, that can provide a sort of directional clue as to what the market is expecting and how they are pricing, um, you know, how they're pricing different things. So whether that be uh, volatility in the future, um, you can look at uh, implied volatility on options as well, which can sometimes give you an insight onto which direction, uh, the people playing large chunks of options are expecting the market to go and you know knowing where those option experts are is actually very useful as well because you know there's going to be contested areas in the market um so it my, my trading style is just it's, it's a lot of like little factors that i try to find in addition to just simple trend following that will hopefully provide me a, a slight edge that allows me to be better at trend following right because anybody can follow a trend with it with a quick moving average uh, you know slap the 50 100 moving average on wait for a cross you know and you'll you'll do okay um, at least in crypto where, you know, the vol where it's, 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 it trends super fucking hard and the volatility is high. Um, you can, you can make a super basic strategy that'll return a couple percent a year or more. Um, so it's, it's trying to find those other confluence factors and trying to find some of the other, the other things in the market that hopefully not as many other people are looking at, or at least don't know how to read. Um, and that's where, that's where you can really find some, some big advantages as far as, um, as far as trading edges over the market. Um, and I'm not going to talk too much more about that, but no, yeah. no, I, I think everyone wants to kind of keep their secret sauce, their secret. Um, I did just want to ask because your handle is I draw charts. Do you think you could pull a chart up for us just so we can see what you're looking at? You know, you've got to have a couple things up when you're looking at charts, right? I do. So actually here, let me adjust my, I have two different monitors, so I got to figure out how to show the correct one. There we um, go. But I'm gonna pull up. I would just like to. Just I would like my audience chart. to get kind of a look into <laughs> what you're looking at when you're sitting down at your screen. Yeah. So I will. 
the, the thing is like, I do draw charts, but I, I often like just delete everything and then re uh, redraw it depending on, you know, how the market's moved, what's going on and, and what I'm thinking about. Um, of course, Mar market's always moving, you know, you've probably got right. 50 charts that you've saved that are no longer applicable or don't mean anything at this point. Um, oh, this is handy. It has like little options for which screen I want to share. Fuck yeah. All right. Is that showing the correct screen? What? Yeah. Okay, cool. There we go. So, all right. I was like looking around. There's a little green box around my screen now. Cool. I haven't done this before. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So, you know, I, I have some kind of general levels drawn out. Um, usually I have volume uh, and then I have uh, actually shout out to Neil Butane. I've been using this indicator of his for a while. It's just a live feed of the funding rate and premium between the expiry contracts and the, um, and the perpetual swaps. Um, and this is actually super helpful to me. And if you guys want to know more about that, search it. I'm pretty sure it was free. Uh, and then, you know, figure out how to use it because I'm not going to tell you. Um. <laughs> yeah, there we go. You've given them the start. They have to figure it out after that. And I think that's more than anyone can ask for. That's right. So, you know, I, I have like a, a weekly level marked out here where I, I see, okay, you know, we're bouncing a little bit off of support. Um, so I, I do a lot of like, you know, the, the basic sort of support and resistance uh, drawings. But what I'm really looking for is it's, I'm not going to blindly bid a support level or, or blindly bid or ask a, a resistance level, you know, I'm looking for like, Hey, you know, for example, like this level that I've had marked out for fucking ever. Yeah. Um, I'm looking saying like, Hey, this is a, this is a, a, an area that gets contested a lot clearly. Um, so when we approach it, I'm looking to see then if, if there is indeed supplier demanding entering the market at that point. Right. I'm not just going to blindly say, I'm going to buy the middle of the blue box, you know, when we're dropping through it. Um, I, I, I'm looking for the reaction to that area and you can zoom in, you know, and you can, you can drop down to the 15 minute chart and you go back up here. Uh, I'll hide that and then show you again in a minute. Um, so, you know, okay. So I've got this blue box marked out, you know, we don't dive into here. Okay. So we see this reaction. I didn't trade this, but I can say, okay, so clearly there is still a decent amount of demand here, right? There's, there's demand that's in here. And I can see that because we shoved up pretty fucking hard off of it. Uh, so the next time we touch it, I'm going to say, okay, you know, I want, I want to bid, you know, somewhere in this area. Um, and then, you know, okay, so we go all the way down. We're not really seeing a reaction. We're not really seeing a reaction. We bounce up a little bit and then we dump right back in. And it's like, okay, well, fuck that. You know, I don't want to be in because clearly there's not the demand there that I was expecting to see. Um, so it's, it's more just visual indicators of where I think things may potentially happen. Right. And then I have, you know, these other um, assistant indicators, you know, like the funding and premium index or the volume, that can provide other clues as to what's going on as well. Um, I do some scalping. I'm, I'm just kind of getting back into it. I haven't in a long time because I was, I was deployed last year, so I didn't have the time. Um, and I found these uh, VWAP standard deviation bands uh, can be very useful um, because a lot of the low time frame is noise and market makers and automated strategies. Uh, and it can be very difficult to separate noise from signal. Uh, but I found that these can help because they're more mathematically based, right? You're not just looking like, you're not gonna really find trends most of the time on low time frame unless high time frame is trending really hard. Um, but you know, you can kind of see these, uh, it's basically the volume weighted average profile, and then it's one and two standard deviations away in each direction uh, based off of the daily open. So, um, so yeah, I found that can be kind of helpful in scalping. And if you guys want to use that, I mean, pull it up and see what patterns you can find and shit. Uh, again, I'm not really going to, I'm not here to give a class on how to use indicators. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, just something I've been using lately. Um, yeah. So, um, but I am trying to kind of transition out of a lot of this, this manual trading. Um, because even though I do, you know, I, I make a living off of it, I do well enough. Um, I do think that there's a lot of opportunity for stuff, um, that a lot of people just aren't looking at right now. That's not actually that difficult to take advantage of market making very competitive, uh, comparatively, but, um, you know, arbitrage, especially in some of the, like these medium or low liquidity coins, um, not as competitive. And, uh, actually I have, uh, you know, there, there's a couple of other strategies that I, I'll give a real brief rundown. I think we're getting close to our time, but, um, that, you know, that I've, I've been looking I'm into not lately about the time. Actually, if you want to go into all of it, you're more than welcome to, you know, I was trying to keep it to, I try to keep these interviews to 40 minutes, but you know, as of recently, I've been having on some killer guests and I'm just like, you guys talk as long as you want. Uh, so no stress, <laughs> please get into all of it. All right. Um, well, there's, there's a couple more uh, strategies that I think are, are useful for beginners and well, that are easy to grasp for beginners and are useful to everybody. There we go. Um, one thing I wanted to mention was a cash and carry trade or the closest thing we have to it in crypto. Um, and it's something I think a lot of people should be taking more advantage of. And it's basically just taking advantage of the funding rate. Um, you know, I think most people trade on BitMEX or, you know, buy better FTX or wherever the hell else. Um, they're trading places that have perpetual swap contract offerings. Um, so I actually, I wasn't sure how we were doing this video. So I pulled up a couple pages here. Um, you this know, is this is the fund, this is the funding history on BitMEX and you can see that, you know, so for the XRP USD perpetual swap contract, you had a, a 0.01% funding rate was the last one. And that was at three o'clock PM, uh, UTC, I think. Right. Um, and then, you know, the FUSD was 0.119, uh, which is really fucking high. <laughs> um, you know, so you, you have these, you have these funding rates and I think, um, the, the simplest form of a cash and carry is going to be on the XBT USD contract. Um, and I would highly recommend anybody who, you know, most of your time trading is spent waiting, right? You don't always want to be in a trade because that means odds are you're over trading and you don't really have that great of an edge. So you're going to have a lot of times where you just have funds sitting in reserve. Um, a simple version of a cash and carry trade would be, um, you know, if, if you're uh, valuing your account in USD at least, uh, would just be a flat short hedge on XBT USD in the equal amount of what your account value is, right? So if you have 10 grand in your account, take a $10,000 short position on the perpetual swap and just collect this fucking funding, right? You're not doing anything else with, with it because you're waiting for a good trade setup. So why not get paid every eight hours, even if it's only a little bit? Um, now you do have to make sure that, you know, funding is in, in your favor. And usually that means you want to, you would do this in an uptrend, right? Um, because, or maybe a flat spot in an uptrend, um, because you know you'll have you'll have a decent funding rate going in your favor for being short, uh, and that's a very simple cash and carry trade. You can also do this on the ETH and XRP perpetual contracts or any other contracts that are offered by other exchanges, but it does get a lot more complicated. Um, so the contract specification for well, let's reload that, and I don't have my VPN on, so we're gonna get that little thing there, but it's okay. Cause I'm not logged in. Um, so the XBT contract, each contract is worth one USD of Bitcoin, right? That's a flat rate. Yeah. Easy enough. Whereas you go over to XRP USD and you get something a little different. Each contract is worth 0. 0.0002 XBT 
per $1 of price, which is currently 0.00004664 XPT per XRP contract. Why that's important is because it means as the USD price of XRP fluctuates, so too will the Bitcoin value, which is what your BitMEX account is denominated in, um, the Bitcoin value of that of that one XRP USD contract is. So you can do a cash and carry trade on either the XRP USD or FUSD contracts, but you have to constantly update based on uh, the price of those contracts because as they're going to change, and that means you're going to be not at 100% hedged out of uh, XBT. Um, the same way you would if you just went a flat one X short on the XPT. Um, you can automate this pretty simply. It's not, it's not hard. Um, I haven't automated it yet, or rather I haven't gone live with my automation. I have a program that I'm, I'm building right now. Um, again, Python noob, but that, that does this. Um, and the calculation is pretty simple. You can throw it into an Excel formula and then just, you know, input the current USD value of one XRP and it'll tell you how much you know, how much this contract is, or you can just look at this page. Um, and you would have to update that every time, you know, there's a fluctuation in price, um, big enough to throw, big enough to throw you off. But the reason I bring that up is because especially like right now, the ETH contract has been providing insane funding lately. So if you can manage to stay on top of it and update and, um, and, you know, keep yourself at a flat edge, um, for the, for the ETH USD contract, you can collect a shit ton of funding. Like just, just for eight hours, what was it that we saw? Um, you know, eight hours, 0.1%, right? That's beating the, the vast majority of fucking traders, at least on crypto Twitter, right? <laughs> like By a long shot. Right. And this is the thing is, it's as long as you're staying on top of that hedge, it is practically risk-free. I mean, you're still exposing yourself to counterparty risk. You know, you have your funds on the exchange, um, not your keys, not your coins, all that, all that good shit. But um. But that is an incredibly lucrative trade. Um, now, it's not always going to be that high. But again, if you have extra funds just sitting around on the exchange, there's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't be doing this, at least on the XBT contract, where it's just as simple as, hey, 1x head short, right? And then collect funding for in perpetuity. Um, so that's a really, really simple uh, sort of market neutral strategy because you don't care if price goes up, you don't care if price goes down uh, because you have the same USD value and you're just collecting that funding rate. So cash and carry trade. Um, and then I'll talk about one more and I'll try to make it quick, but, uh, you don't have see. to, you don't have to make it quick. I'm telling you, man, we're, we're in no <laughs> rush anymore. All right. So I actually drew this up for some of my students. I have a couple people I teach. Uh, I do not charge for that and I'm not accepting new students. So don't ask. Um, <laughs> so this is a simple mock-up. I have it drawn on, uh, the S and P 500 E mini futures. Um, of another delta neutral strategy, which is, um, was, I don't know if technically it's delta neutral. Anyway, um, I'm not really that technical on all this stuff, believe it or not, but, um, basically where you're betting on volatility. And this is very similar to the way, uh, FTX's new move contracts work. It, this is just a straddle, right? You don't have to know what direction price is going to go. You just, you're betting whether or not it's going to move at all. Um, so, and the strategy is simple. If you're doing the move contracts, you just buy a move contract, or if you're doing, um, if you're doing this with options, you buy a call and you buy a put, right? So the price that, so for those of you who don't know, an option is the, um, is the ability you're buying a contract that gives you the ability, but not the obligation to buy or sell at a specific price on a specific day. That specific price is called, is called the strike price. 
and the specific day is called the expiry date. So a call is, um, is the option to buy, right? Um, so you say, Hey, you know, this is it. And it's actually a little bit cropped. Let me see if I can fix that. Or did I fuck it up? There we go. So this call, for example, is at uh, 3167 on the E-mini futures. Uh, that means if by this expiry date, uh, you get to that point uh, and the price is above that, you have the option to buy it at that 3167. doesn't matter how much higher the price is. So you're making the difference immediately between the current price and the price and the strike price of your call. And the put is the exact same thing, but it's for selling it. And in this example, it's 282275. Uh, so if price was below that on the expiry date, you know, you get to sell at a higher price than what the asset's actually trading at. But if you buy these together, um, you know, first of all, you're going to pay a premium for the contract. You have to buy the contract. Um, and then if, in, so you have the call strike here and the put strike here. Um, and if the price expires inside this sort of band created, you know, both contracts are worthless. You're not, you don't have to exercise the option, right? So you're not, you don't have to buy it higher or sell it lower than what it is. Um, so you wouldn't, so you just lose whatever you paid for the contract. If you know, this, the price expires within this band, whereas if you're up here, you know, obviously your put is useless because you're exercising the option because you're not going to exercise the option to sell it way down here. Um, but your call is in profit. So as long as the call is in profit by more than what the two options con cost you to buy, you've made a profit on the trade. And the same thing applies if price goes below here, you know, your put would be in profit as long as it's in profit by more than what the two options cost you, you're in profit. Um, and that's just a very simple option strategy called a straddle. But as you can see, you're not betting on, you know, price go up, price go down, snake oil go down. Um, you know, whatever the fuck you're betting on you're a just big betting. move up or down right exactly. one or the other and you can and you can depending on how far out you want that expiry date to be and um you know how close you want that call and that puts uh prices to be to each other um you know there the, you if you really want to do this you should get familiar with options pricing and the black Scholes model uh, and, and all the greeks and all that shit but fuck um, the black Scholes model <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's nightmare. the closest thing we have to being sort of accurate. No, I know, I know. It's just a nightmare. <laughs> like, I, it just brings me back to my college days learning about it and like the theory behind uh, it, and it's just like mind-boggling to me. Yeah. Uh, welcome to dealing with random, uh, random chance over. That, that's the thing about it, right? It assumes it assumes a random walk. It assumes the market can't be predicted. As traders, it's our job to say, ah, that's wrong. Yeah. So right. that's where, well, that's where we can get an edge trading things like options directionally is because, um, you know, because the the Black Scholes model automatically assumes in the pricing of options um, a random walk in the market, which means it's going to undervalue or overvalue contracts, and then you can hopefully take advantage of that. But that's totally. Not what we're talking about nah, right that's now. A, um, that's, a, that's another full episode right there. That is another full episode, and that's also something I'm working on, but that is not something I'm going to be sharing. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so this is a, a slightly more complex, but also um, non-directional in the sense that you're not betting on pricing going up or down. You're betting on volatility indirectly. Um, and again, this is also how move contracts work on FTX. Um it's basically like this position, like all packaged together, but in, in a contract in like one contract that's just called move. Um, so I've been, I've been doing some stuff with those and there are a couple other strategies I've been using with them to take advantage of some pricing inefficiencies. Um, 
And again, that is because that's a small market. I'm not going to be sharing anything to do with my edge there. Um, right. That'll, yeah. get, that'll get taken over quickly. Um, yeah. Okay. So we've gone over a lot of different ways that you can make money without worrying about the direction of price. Uh, are there any others that we have missed that you would like to talk about? There are a ton of others, but I'm not going to talk about them. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Do you just not want to get into them or is it because that your edge lies in capitalizing on some of them? Uh, some of both. So there are a, okay. a lot of them, uh, you know, you can, you can combine a bunch of these strategies as well too, right? So you can do, you know, like I said, arbitrage and market making kind of go hand in hand. You're doing a little bit of both at the same time. Um, you know, you can, you can take advantage of premiums or funding and you can combine that with market making, or you can combine that with, uh, you know, hedging out on, on futures that are in, that are at a premium, you know, you, you can go com combine a lot of these things, um, and I think that's where most of these kind of alternate strategies um, kind of fit in. So if you're really interested in doing this, I'd recommend, first of all, getting real fucking familiar with any exchanges you're planning on using, right? You need to know like backward and forward the fee schedule. You need to know how long it takes to move coins around. You need to know, uh, you know, for maker uh, rebates, limits, how the how the contracts expire, do they expire, what the funding rate is by default. You know, for XPTUSD, it's 0.01% is the default. Um, so like know your fucking contracts, know your shit, uh, and then start thinking about ways you can take advantage of those things that you found out. Um, yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, no, I was going to, I'm glad you just went right into that. Cause I was going to ask, you know, for someone who wants to get, I always like to ask, you know, for the beginners, what's your biggest tip? Uh, so I think those are some great tips on kind of how to get started. I feel like so many people are on these exchanges and yet they still don't know how they work. You know, so I, I appreciate oh, you giving us that tip. Um, you know, you, you read through all the fine print and the terms of service of some of these exchanges and it's, you know, pages long and I feel like people just completely ignore it. So I thank you for that. Um, no problem. And real quick again, uh, where the fuck did that go? Uh, yeah. So like these, these contract specification pages, if you're planning on doing any of these, and a lot of these edges are because of the maker rebates, uh, are are really easy to exploit for retail people, uh, particularly on Bitmex because the maker rebate gives you that extra little cushion of like kind of built-in profit. Um, but if you're going to do that, this entire section, I'm not saying you need to memorize it, but pretty fucking close. Like know everything that each one of these pages and sub pages say. You know about any any of the assets you're trading. You know maybe you're not going to trade Litecoin, but you know, if you're trading Cardano, fucking know about it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So become an expert. And I think you can find some of these inefficiencies that you have been talking about. Uh, but you really need to get well versed in it. What about for the people out there who are already kind of implementing some of these strategies? Do you have a biggest tip for them? Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if I want to because they're my competition, right? Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> Now, I mean, so I think um, I know there are there are still a lot of people that are doing some of this stuff manually, yeah. or at least leaving themselves um, with the kind of manual uh, say so at the end of the day. Um, I think my biggest tip for them would be uh, look into Stat Arb, statistical arbitrage, and that is all I'm saying on the matter. We didn't talk about it in this episode, and I'm not going to. So. There <laughs> <laughs> No, I appreciate it. Some people are going to be like, what the fuck is he talking about? And completely ignore it. 
but I think yeah, no, there's going to be like four, there's going to be like four guys and simple, simple life is probably going to look at this and go <laughs> way ahead of you, buddy. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I already know he does some of that shit. So yeah, there um, we go. I think I've got, I've got one for kind of the middle, middle of the market guys. And that would just be to automate as much of this as you can. Um, absolutely. Uh, even if it's just as simple as, as, you know, creating a simple program that gives you a readout of like, okay, what's the premium, right? You know, yeah. obviously I have that kind of baked into my trading view chart with Neobutane's indicator here. Again, shout out to him for that. Um, but, uh, but you know, like what's the premium? What is the funding rate? You know, even if you can just, you know, fetch from the API and, and have that spit out on your screen so you know what all these things are just by glancing at it, that's going to be a massive help to you and tell you, okay, where are the inefficiencies right now? How can I take advantage of them? There we go. Perfect. All right, man. I really appreciate you sitting down. I, I love this episode because it's different than what everyone else is doing uh, for the most part. I mean, I, I don't think it's sexy. I don't think it's glamorous. I don't think it gets oh, not at all. the recognition <laughs> that it deserves on Twitter, uh, especially Twitter because- well, I think know. that's why, right? Because it's it's not, you know, I'm not going, hey, look, I fucking called the bottom to the pip, right? It's not yeah, exciting. Exactly. You know, I'm just going, hey, you know, I'm grinding out four, six percent a month. There's nothing you can fucking do about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't care if you like it or not. <laughs> yeah. And with these inefficient markets, it's with, you know, I would say little to no risk sometimes. Um, and yeah. it, it, it's such a high value, you know, four to 6% a month is insane. But when you think about the fact that, you know, these are very inefficient markets, it's very doable. Yeah. You can squeeze a lot more out of it. Than that, yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. It's not the I, 400%. That's, that's why I'm learning to automate. Yeah, right. It's not the 400% uh, profit from bottom longing to the T, but you know, 4 to 6% is something that I think a lot of people should get excited about, especially on a yeah. monthly basis. Absolutely, um, especially if you're going, "Hey, you know, this is it's obviously, you know, it's going to fluctuate a little bit depending on these inefficiencies, but if it's like, "Hey, every time I take one of these trades, I'm not risking anything except the physical act of being exposed to that exchange," right? right. Obviously, I have my money on there. But I, I could care less what fucking Bitcoin does because I'm going to make money either way, you know? Yeah. And that's something, especially if you struggle, um, you know, maybe maybe being able to time time the market or, or trade directionally or catch trends or, you know, manage your emotions, whatever it is. This is definitely something that is, you know, you can do some research, you can learn about it. I'm not saying it's easy because you do have to know a lot and you have to put the work in. But once you get it down, you know, you can, it's going to take you a long way, so. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate it. Before we go, is there anything else that you think you may have forgotten or that you want my audience to know? Um, not really. I mean, <laughs> no, we covered it. We, we covered a lot. Everything. I always no. just like to ask just in case, you know, it could be something completely random, not even about the episode or about trading, sure. just uh, anything you want. Uh, so I like to give you guys the opportunity. But again, man, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's been it's been wonderful. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, man. This is a lot of fun. All right. That wraps up another episode. Thanks for tuning in, guys. I just want to take a quick second to remind you to leave us a review and subscribe to the show. We would greatly appreciate it if you did. And we look forward to seeing you next episode.